My name's Craig Clevenger. Dermaphoria is my second novel. It is the diary of an amnesiac LSD chemist who is addicted to a drug that synthesizes the sensation of human touch. At the opening, the narrator is a little disoriented uh, due to a laboratory accident, and he is slowly piecing together uh, his memory and his surroundings. All right. I panicked and swallowed a handful of fireflies and black widows the inferno had not. Shiny glass teardrop spiders shattered between my teeth while the fireflies popped like Christmas bulbs until I coughed up blood and blue sparks, starting yet another fire three inches behind my eyes and burning a hole through the floor of my memory. In a lifetime of days, years, minutes, and months gone, but for a lone scrap and name scorched and snagged on a frayed nerve ending and snapping in the breeze. Desiree. And as hard as I try, a given recollections, pictures, sounds, and smells synchronized and ordered first to last are everything but. Swarming back through the cold hole in my brain where they hit the waning light and crackle into smoke. Others wait until dark to show themselves, and I can hold a picture's fragments together for a lucid half-second before a light shines through my eyes and they scatter, slipping between my brain's blackened cracks, and one memory after the next turns yellow at the edges and crumbles to flakes at my touch. I smell rotted pulp. I smell old newspapers crawling with silverfish and the dank, dissolving bindings of books I don't remember reading and the stench gives me chills that turn to sandpaper on my neck and shoulders. My back burns if I lean the wrong way, and I feel bandages, but I can't touch them because my wrists and feet are cuffed to a chair inside a room built to the stark schematics of my own head. Peeling walls, the color of fingernails. Cement floor in an overhead light with an orbiting moth. I'm alone in this room with three machines. Two are on pause behind me. The third speaks into a telephone near the door. I miss you, Snowflake. I love you too. Bunches. Bunches and bunches. Yes, Mommy too. The machine's baritone whisper is like the rumble of a distant train. Now these machines are good. Whoever made them has all of my respect. Stunning detail in their faces, each loaded with a data bank of behaviors for random interval display. All manner of mannerisms, from coughs to sniffs. Synthetic cartilage, knuckle cracks, biting lips, and picking nails, but the odor of static. The electric smell from a bank of new television sets gives them away. When I get home. Okay, I will. Love you. Bye-bye, Snowflake. From across the room, I can hear the faint dial tone, the ping-ping of the doomed but determined moth against the light bulb. Then this machine sits in front of me. My daughter's been sick, and I've been on overtime. He speaks to me as though I'm a sleeping child, and he's about to kiss my forehead. Then he slides a cigarette from a pack with gold foil and some French name I can't pronounce. Haven't seen her for three days, he says. 
The snap of his chrome lighter chimes like a coin hitting the pavement. You smoke? This machine is engineered for sincerity and affection. Now while the two behind me hide their eyes behind dark glasses, his are exposed in big liquid brown, radiating trust along with his voice. He wears an oiled back, matinee idol haircut and a tailored suit, the deep blue of beetle wings, and from across the table my eyes can feel the fabric, soft as a baby bird's throat. He's wired to smell like breath mints, cigarettes and expensive aftershave. A tentacle of smoke gathers into a cloud overhead. It dissolves in the air between us, the smell stinging my nose. No. Conscious of my manners with him, I correct myself. No, thank you. I wasn't offering, he says. Word is, you can't remember to chew before you swallow, and I'm just seeing for myself. How about it? You remember smoking, maybe falling asleep after a few drags. I shake my head, but that hurts, pulls at my skin. You did it on purpose, then, he says, covering your tracks. And his circuits pause mid-breath. The smoke above freezes into a ball of cobwebs. The moth is eavesdropping. I can hear the blood moving through my ears. You have any idea why you're talking to me? I have pieces of an idea, I say. My blood beating louder and I think I'm going to be sick. Who are you? My name, he says, is Detective Nicholas Anslinger. The slack in my chains is enough for me to reach his outstretched hand, sheathed in a synthetic polymer mimicking my own skin. You can call me Detective, he continues. Now tell me these pieces. I tell him... I remember fire, but I can't remember starting one. I can't remember, he says. I've heard that before. His brown eyes don't blink. They stay locked onto me, and the damp draft unfurls a ribbon of cigarette smoke and coils it around my face. Let's start with the spiders, he continues. How many have you made, and how many are still out there? Now, I don't know... What stranger that this anslinger machine thinks I'm God or that he can chain God to a wheelchair beneath a spotlight. Try this, he says, leaning forward. We found the galaxy. He's right. I am God. It's all coming back to me now. Darkness and light, floods, seven days, the angels feuding amongst themselves for my favor. I'd lost my temper and the ensuing firestorm killed my precious dinosaurs. Work it out. Learn to compromise. That was my directive. After the platypus, I disbanded the committee and stayed solo. This created resentment. A permanent rift in the organization. Anslinger reads from a notebook. 1964, Ford, two-door hardtop, candy apple red, Galaxy 500, registered to one Eric Ashworth. Fully restored if you don't count the blown back windshield and scorched paint. 
He snaps the notebook shut. Nice ride. Okay. I'm not God. I'm Eric Ashworth. It's all coming back to me. No, no, it's not. My head goes dark again, so the bugs will come crawling out. I squint through the blackness. I remember the sound of God cracking open the sky and shaking the earth. I remember a ball of fire rising from a flaming house, nails melting like slivers of silver wax, beams and shingles collapsing into a pile of burning dust and the earth spitting them into the air. The angry fire boulder rolled down from the sky toward me and I ran, choking back the spiders and fireflies fighting their way up my throat. More bugs would drop from the air at any second. Armored insects with polished carbon fiber heads, giant eyes that shine like black mercury and could see me in the dark. And there was a phone booth, I remember, surrounded by nothing and beyond the nothing, darkness. An invisible swarm burrowed into my back, chewing through my skin as I called for help from the phone in the middle of nowhere, and a light hit me from behind. And I turned face to face with a six-foot stormtrooper mantis covered in armor plating locked onto me with black goggle eyes. I crushed it with the heavy plastic receiver before it ate my head and learned everything I knew. Now as little sense as this makes to Anslinger, it makes even less to me. Your car, he says to me, was the only vehicle parked outside of that house of which there is nothing left. You assaulted the state trooper who found you at an abandoned gas station talking into a dead telephone. You were about an hour on foot from the burn site. Middle of the night, you could have died of exposure. I killed a bug, I tell him. The bandages burn. My mind's eye sees a stretch of oily black blisters and the healthy skin peeling back like the paint on these walls. The pieces come together. Okay, I've got it. Then they crumble apart. I move my thumb, then try to remember moving my thumb. I've got it again. I play each preceding second, one by one. Whole minutes, chunks of hours follow suit, binding to the fresh, fragile moment of before, until the sequence holds. And I remember my feet and wrists strapped to a bed frame surrounded by bags, tubes, and beeping boxes. A machine dressed in white let me suck on ice chips. Said I was going to be okay. They'd cut skin from my legs and sewed it onto my back, he said. Another machine in white asked me questions and showed me photographs so I could make up stories for them. I drew pictures, worked puzzles, and pissed into cups. The machine gave me a notebook, said writing things down would help my memory. The first machine slides a syringe into one of the tubes. I follow the surge of liquid down to the crook of my elbow, but nothing's there except a wad of cotton held with tape and my hands cuffed below a metal table with Anslinger sitting across from me. My brain tries to kick fire itself into working again, but shorts, burning the memory nest to a cinder, the drones thrown to their backs, legs kicking in the air. This is the part where we sweat you. Anslinger says, tag team, good cop, bad cop. Those are the rules, right? That's not my style. You're not in good shape. You rest for a while and we'll talk again. 
Anslinger grinds out his cigarette. I've been looking for you, or someone like you, Mr. Eric Ashworth, for some time. Beginning to think you were an urban legend. Don't take this the wrong way. But it's good to finally meet you. surrounds me, void of shadows. The walls could be three feet from my fingers or thirty. My first instinct says I'm in hell. My second instinct says the devil doesn't like me and the third says he could afford a better suit. He's talking rapid fire like he's been ranting at me while I've been in a coma. You will talk to no one about your case without me, period. Not the cops, not Anslinger, nobody. If any doctors ask you anything not pertaining to your treatment, you keep your mouth shut. Same for any orderlies or nurses, especially for them. You don't talk to anyone while you're in here, and when you're out, you do likewise. Anyone with whom you speak could be subpoenaed, or worse, they could be a snitch or even undercover. Am I clear? Am I getting through to you? He speaks without stopping for breath or my answer. You say you can't remember anything, so if and when you start, the prosecution will accuse you of selective recall and slowly gut you in front of the jury. Did you know they tried to get you to waive your right to counsel? N no. I'm trying to hold his words together, but they're piling up too quickly, old seconds crushed beneath the weight of the new. Yes, they did, but you couldn't sign your own name, let alone remember it. Things could have been worse, so remember, you talk to nobody about your case. Tell me you'll remember. I will. Say it. I'll remember. Remember what? I won't talk to anyone about my case without you. I have a case. My case. I've run a red light or I've been caught with a severed head in a paper bag. I'm scared to ask. We pleaded no contest, he continues. The judge set your bail at 50000 for assaulting that state trooper, and I've got a bondsman taking care of it. He owes me a favor, otherwise you'd be stuck here because you've got no credit or collateral. You'll be released by this afternoon. So, I've already been in court, I ask him. You spent your arraignment in a wheelchair, drooling with your eyes open. And you and I have met. Yes. And he clenches his jaw like he's about to hit me. You and I met, and I told you to keep your mouth shut, and then you promptly forgot. Heard you had a visit with Anslinger. Anslinger, yeah. I thought the cops were robots. He's a good guy, I add. I like him. Stop liking him and stop interrupting me. Okay, the bad news. The DA is going to try to convince a grand jury that you are the one making the stuff you OD'd on. Some combination of methamphetamine and LSD. The hospital says it nearly killed you and your long-term health is a crapshoot. Your heart stopped and they clocked you dead for eight seconds. You know what a firefly is? Yeah, it's a bug that glows in the dark. They shock you when you bite them open. Wrong. 
I mean the acid that's been turning up all over Los Angeles and creeping up the coast and inland for the last year. They think it's yours. His last sentence hangs in the air between us. I'm supposed to grab for it, but I can't. He rolls his eyes and continues. They've connected you to the lab that blew, and Anslinger's crew has walked the grid on that burn site at least a hundred times. The DA is going to have a mountain of evidence for the grand jury, the register for which will be copied to me, but not for another four or five days, so I won't know until then exactly what they've got on you. In any case, I can almost guarantee they'll hand down an indictment, which means you're back in jail until your trial. Now, what can you tell me? Nothing. I swear my mind is a blank. Then who's Desiree? Your name numbs me like an animal dart and drops my thoughts in their tracks. I don't know. You keep saying that. You're not helping. He reads from a photocopy. Desiree, goddamn you, Desiree. Ring any bells. My pulse races and I feel squirming beneath my bandages like a swarm of larvae is hatching beneath my grass. And there isn't a damn thing I can do about it except wait for them to scar. You've got a week then, maybe, he says, repacking his files. Your best move is to make an offer of cooperation. I need to hand them as much information as you can give me. Who you are working for, your distributors, your suppliers, everything. Otherwise, get used to your surroundings for the next couple of decades. If I can't make them an offer before your trial, nothing you remember once the trial starts will help. As he stands up, he says, snap out of it, then drops a business card into my lap. I'll be in touch. Hang on, I say, and then I'm blank. The thought flutters out, circles the overhead light in a long silence before it flies back into my head. Where will I go when I'm out? He's quiet. I stare down at my forearm. The bandages on my back are damp from the seepage through the mesh beneath them. For a moment, I forget I'm not alone in my cell. I look like a travel agent to you. He leans into my face. You see a name tag here? There a poster of the Caribbean on the wall? He's barking too quickly for me to say anything and it hurts to shake my head so I stare at my forearm again. You've got a good chunk of cash in your property envelope. I'm sure you'll get by, just don't be too frugal. Enjoy your five days of freedom. He raps on my cell door and the noise makes me twitch. A buzzer sounds and my door swings open. Check my cart, he says, stepping out. The name is Morel. That's me, since you didn't ask. In the future, make sure you know who you're talking to. Now call me when you settle in somewhere. The guard slams my cell door shut and my heart skips. Morel's footsteps recede into the din of buzzing doors that sound like the electric flies in my head swarming to the surging lights of my memory. They're tireless. But if I let them exhaust themselves, they might collapse into a pattern, forming some code in their scattered husks. I stare at my hands for an hour, hoping for a read on my age. 
If the steel mirror above the toilet is accurate, I'm a human blur. My mugshot is the foggy outline of a nondescript face. A nightstick thunderclap against my cell door jolts me out of my knuckle-and-mirror speculation. A paper plate wrapped in cellophane slides through a waist-level opening. Four fish sticks, a biscuit, a plastic fruit cup, and a carton of juice shrink-wrapped at room temperature. The odor slaps me like the ass end of a garbage truck when I tear the plastic away. I flush the fish sticks and breathe into the crook of my elbow until the dry heave stopped. The biscuit and warm juice calm my stomach. I stare at the white walls and try to remember something beyond the preceding seconds spent staring at the infinite white cement in front of me and the cement staring back. I log those seconds into my diary and hope for more. subscribe to the writer's block and hear more stories please visit www.kqed.org slash writer's block The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.